Welcome back to Between the Banners, your basketball show on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by TarHeelBlog.com on the SB Nation podcast network. I sounded excited because it's the first time in a while we've done a basketball show, but we have to talk about Roy Williams and his rediscovered ability to lasso in five-star recruits, namely for the 2020 class. Jake Lawrence is here with me. Jake, what's up? Hey, brother. Let's go ahead and do this. It's uh, been a while since we've talked basketball, so got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, I don't want to look at the numbers, but I think it's been about four months since we did a basketball podcast when we had all the grad transfer news and everything coming in. Um, So it has definitely been a minute. Jake, Caleb Love, five-star point guard for the 2020 class, number 21 overall in the class per 247, 6'3", 170 from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, What can you tell me about this guy? Uh, the third five-star commit for UNC this cycle. Uh, that now, uh, I believe, ties 06 and 09 and I think 2014. Uh, 2014 is the last time that happened. Uh, you're getting a, a – North Carolina's going to be getting a, a point guard who can play both the one and the two. Uh, and does a little bit of everything. Uh, score first uh, and kind of growing into that, that point guard role uh, over this past summer and, and this his senior year. But uh, at 6'3 and about 170, Ish, depending on which recruiting website you like to you like to look at, uh, your North Carolina is getting a, a guy who's going to come in and replace or or play alongside um, Cole Anthony next year, depending on what Cole Anthony ends up doing. So uh, it's definitely a big get, uh, right in the mid twenty range, uh, which is just above where Kobe White was when he came in. And so make of that what you will. It doesn't mean anything; could mean everything, uh, but definitely a, a top player and, and a huge recruiting win for North Carolina. Yeah, and what I kind of gathered was with the size that you mentioned and with the shoot first, developing point guard skills, that sounds a whole lot like Kobe White. Um, recruiting ranking-wise, it's close. I mean, it's basically between Kobe White and Joel Berry. So you talk about two guys who are kind of luminaries of the position for UNC that they've been able to bring in as five-star recruits in the past few years here. Is this a guy that you project to be a day-one starter? Uh, i I've and working under the uh, the assumption that Cole Anthony is going pro, but you are still going to have Jeremiah Francis and Anthony Harris on the roster as sophomores or uh, redshirt freshmen. Leaky Black has the ability possibly to slide down to that position. Do you, do you see him jumping on campus really more as a two or a one? Uh, it's early to say, but let's go with the expected departures. So, you know, you're going to lose – Christian Keeling, you know you're going to lose Brandon Robinson, you know you're going to lose more than likely Cole Anthony all on the perimeter. Uh, so I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's going to come in and start from day one or be given every opportunity to start. And we have to see how um, how Leakey develops this year and if he handles any point guard positions or point, point guard responsibilities. We do have to wait and see if Jeremiah Francis uh, and his recovery go well or if he is going to be sidelined uh, and, and kind of delay his development more than already has been. Uh, but I think that if you're looking for an answer to, to, to slide into Cole Anthony's role next year, uh, Caleb, Love is, Caleb Love is where you start. Uh, and so I don't think it's a stretch to say that you're looking at a starter for next year and very likely uh, the starting point guard, uh, or at a minimum, he'll be given every opportunity to to wrestle that position away. Yeah, the roster starts to shape up pretty nicely because everybody who's going to be a senior next year is a three-star recruit. And meaning Garrison Brooks, Brandon Huffman, Sterling Manley, uh, Andrew Playtech. So you kind of have the senior leadership along with the five-star talent in the underclassmen. Um, also, you 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll segue this a little bit more smoothly than this, but you have also have the story of Armando Baycott and whether or not he's a one and done, but definitely a, a good start to the guard recruiting for 2020 with Caleb Love. And as opposed to segueing into the other two guys that are already committed to the heels, let's go ahead and speculate about what other guys on the perimeter that the heels could add. I know Cade Cunningham, number two player in the country, was on campus last weekend for Late Night with Roy. Uh, he's listed as a combo guard at 6'6", 215 from uh, Arlington, Texas. What is your current vibe with uh, Mr. Cunningham? Uh, based on everything he has said, based on everything that's been reported, um, it feels like he's coming down to North Carolina and Oklahoma State. That's not a shocking a revelation for anyone who has followed that. It's interesting because his brother was hired at Oklahoma State, and those usually trend that way. But North Carolina did a really good job in getting Cade on campus with Zaire Williams, another five-star recruit from the West Coast. Uh, Greg Brown, a five-star recruit from Texas, took an unofficial visit. Uh, and then they brought Dayron Sharp in as well for that official visit at late night with Roy. So all of the big names that, that North Carolina is chasing, they brought them all together to kind of give a vibe of this is what it could be. Uh, these could be your teammates for one or two years, you know, probably one. So I don't think North Carolina is out of it uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but family is tough uh, to, you know, those bonds are tough to break. But Garrison Brooks's father, I believe, was even at one point uh, higher down at, I believe it was Ole Miss where he originally State. committed. Mississippi State. State. Yep. So, you know, we've seen it happen before, uh, and North Carolina does official visits really, really well. Um, if they got Cade Cunningham, that might uh, change the dynamic a little bit. But publicly, both players have, have indicated that uh, there's not a massive concern there uh, in having to play with another score-first kind of mentality. And, look, there, there could be debates about whether you want two point guards in the backcourt, but Roy Williams has always succeeded with a – with a scoring capable point guard who can push the break in transition. And he's done very well with multiple ball handlers in the backcourt. 2016, you had uh, Marcus Page and Joel Berry. Uh, that is, is one example. Um, and he also did the same thing at Kansas, I believe, at one point when he had, I think, the late 90s, maybe it was Jacques Vaughn and someone else in the backcourt there. Kirk so Heinrich history and Jacques Vaughn played together. Did they? Okay, that, that, yeah. that may be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so you have all that that go together, um, and Roy likes that. So I don't think it's a stretch to think that two um, score-first perimeter point guards or lead guards, because I don't really believe a combo guard is a real thing, um, I don't think that's out of, out of their own possibility. Additionally, uh, if, if they don't get Cade, they have uh, they had Bryce Thompson in, another five-star wing uh, for a visit a couple weeks ago, and they still have R.J. Davis, who is still scheduled, I think, to come in. October or early November as well, who's a little bit further down the rankings, but would solidify another ball handler on the perimeter. So they're actively seeking uh, an additional ball handler slash scorer for the perimeter. And as well, they should, because if you look at just the way the roster is going to break out, you're going to assume basically that Playtech and uh, Playtech and Black are going to be basically it on the perimeter until we see what you get from uh, Harrison Francis. So, you know, there, there's definitely minutes to be had. Um, I guess let's push it up a position kind of to more of the wings where, you know, you say combo guard's not a thing. In Roy Williams' system, the 2-3 uh, is definitely interchangeable in my purview. Uh, Zaire Williams, another five-star, number five overall recruit in the class, was also on campus. Uh, 
According to 247, he is a 43% lean to Stanford, but with UNC tracking him down at 29%. Um, I, I know they also have some names waiting in the wings, but is this a situation where you see uh, Roy Williams going for broke with uh, Zaire Williams, or do you think he'd take one of the lesser guys like a Puff Johnson or uh, – I mean, I guess Jaden Springer's off the table, but um, Bryce Thompson being another one. Yeah, that's something I, I think it's really difficult to say. Zaire Williams is one of those guys that you make a spot for. Um, you're talking a top 10 talent. And so Roy, look, he's been doing this a while, right? Uh, he's going to build his team uh, as he feels it needs to be done. Uh, but there are certain players that most coaches will be willing to wait for. Uh, the interesting with Zaire is that he's been on campus, I believe, three times over the last year, and two of them were on his own dime. So there's a belief among some that they can't see a West Coast kid leaving the West Coast and coming all the way out to North Carolina. And that's a valid, you know, a valid argument. But when a, when a kid twice in one year pays his own way out, that, out, out to the East Coast, um, I, think it, I think it deserves a little bit more than just a, uh, well, it's nice, but he's definitely not going to do it. Uh, I think North Carolina is very much in that one as well. But, um, you know, when it comes down to whether or not you wait for him, that comes into whether or not you, you want four-star recruits who will stay three or four years or if you want to go after the top talent and you want to make the recruitment splash. Um, and for next, year's, for next year's team to be successful, uh, they are going to be lacking a little bit on that wing. So Zaire's probably a guy that you want to wait for. And do you think it's a situation where, I mean, if you, if you assume Zaire and Cade Cunningham were to join this class, that's uh, five guys right there, and we'll get into the bigs in a minute. Do you think they have room for, you know, more of a developmental guy beyond that? Do you think they can go to six or even seven guys in a class? Uh, that depends on potential uh, OADs such as Baycott um, or, or Bacot, or I, I know I always butcher that name, uh, or if there's also any transfers. And now, that, now that's a very real thing in North Carolina. We saw that with Woods last year. Um, and you have to wonder if maybe one of the, one of the uh, three-star guys there will be seniors um, if they don't develop or if they don't get the playing time they want, if they'll want to leave and, and go go experience something else. So right now we know North Carolina uh, has five scholarships if you assume Cole is leaving. Uh, you have the 13th scholarship that has been with Shea Rush and now is with Baby Jet. Uh, you've got Keeling, you have Pierce, and you have B-Rob. So those are five right there. Um, that's a very valid question. Do they want to mix in – three, four, or five potential one- and two-year players, or do they go ahead and cut it off at some point and go for the developmental type? I don't have an answer to that question. Uh, but I think it's very, it'll be very interesting to see what Roy really thinks of some of that top-end talent if he's willing to wait to the spring. Yeah, and we haven't really done the uh, 2020 recruiting class at all on this, uh, on this new show yet, so it's kind of interesting to just kind of hash it out here. But I look at it as a situation where you never really want to bring in five one and duns. Um, you know, maybe that's just a little hesitancy on my part to not full, you know, go fully all in on being the Duke or Kentucky type team. But if you can bring in five one and duns and then two guys who are very capable and frankly guys who are better as recruits than a lot of the guys that Heels have brought in this decade, I mean, that's an absolute home run. So It'll be interesting to see what the next shoe to drop is because because I think that's going to inform a lot of what happens going forward. No, absolutely. And we talk about the one-and-done deal. And, and the truth is, look, Kobe White had a phenomenal year. We get it. And he kind of turned into a one-and-done. He did not enter school thinking he was going to do that necessarily. Um, same for Tony Bradley. He, he, he struck while the iron was hot. Not, uh, Nasir Little was always a one-and-done candidate. So some of these guys – 
probably have aspirations, but you also don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we see every year that there's a freshman or two or three that need an extra year of development. And Roy is demanding. Um, you know, he does his vetting. There's no doubt he's going to bring the, the right kind of player and kid and family into, uh, into the roster or, or into the program. Uh, but it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, they're all top 25 recruits and they're all going to leave. Maybe and maybe not. And so when we look at it from that angle, um, maybe there are some developmental needs that we, we don't realize right now that could change some of that. You know, Cole Anthony, Kate Cunningham, got it. They're gone. Uh, but someone like, like Caleb Love, maybe not. Uh, he may struggle a little bit, right? You just don't know. Uh, so we'll have to see what, what, what goes from there and, and just let it all shake out. Uh, what I do know is that coaches rarely stress over recruiting the way fan bases do. But I do think that uh, Roy and, and, and the staff are going to try to do what they can to keep from having the same problem this past year when they were tracking down decommits and graduate transfers to fill out a roster. Yeah, definitely better to uh, over, over-recruit than under-recruit. And for me, the kind of example of that, and it kind of ties into Walker Kessler a little bit because that was a bit of a surprise, was when – UNC, within the span of maybe a week or a month, it was a very short period of time, uh, got commitments from John Henson and then both of the Ware twins, which kind of caught us all uh, off guard a little bit, where then suddenly you had Henson and the Wares playing out of position on the wing and just kind of had a glut of bodies at one position. We don't really have that yet, but we are going to transition that into the Walker-Kessler conversation because this is a guy – really the first elite big that Roy Williams has brought in since, I mean, hell, Marvin Williams. I mean, Ed Davis, I guess. Uh, maybe Zeller. Zeller, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so probably Zeller if you're talking about elite and highly ranking. Yeah, and, you know, the, the difference between Kessler and, and De'Ron Sharp was that, that Sharp was not originally a five-star when he was offered and when he committed. Um, Roy kind of did his thing and was looking out of his third eye and saw that talent coming. Uh, and Sharp has, has really progressed. So you're right, Kessler's the first big man, really big man of the elite stature that North Carolina has gotten in some time. Uh, and that, that's really interesting because the game has kind of shifted away from the big man. Uh, and so to go ahead and get that uh, with the understanding that sometimes it takes longer to develop uh, is, is a massive cr- recruiting win, especially because they essentially took him out from – from Duke's stranglehold because for a long time Duke and or Auburn were considered the two leaders. So a uh, massive win for them to, to, to pull that one in. Yeah. And from the brief uh, clips I've seen of him, it does look like he has a little Luke May to him, you know, not a, not an extremely explosive athlete, but at seven feet and 245 pounds, a guy that can step out, hit some perimeter shots. Um, you know, he, he he's not going to burn anybody off the dribble, but he can create shots off the dribble. And, as, as you saw with Luke May for the past three years, that is a really valuable weapon to have. Um, if the game is going away from bigs, that is how bigs adapt and carve out a niche for themselves. I'm really excited about this guy. I am too. And, and the difference between him and Luke uh, is really his size. And where does he fit at the four at seven feet tall, or is he going to be down at the five and be a, essentially a, a stretch five, which you don't see many of those. Um, I look at him and I almost – it may not be – it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but I think of Zach Collins from Gonzaga a couple of years ago. Or Gonzaga, Gonzaga. I always say it wrong, too. Um, I always – I think of him, you know, Zach Collins was uh, was almost seven feet. He could step out and, and hit from outside a little bit, uh, but was still long, not the most athletic. 
uh, and he was a lottery pick uh, that season after making that that national runner-up uh, run with uh, with the Zags. So uh, it'll be interesting to see because we know that Roy likes to put his bigs down low. They they run to the rim, they post up high low, all of that. Luke was given some freedom because as the four and the trail man, you can do some different things with someone who is clearly undersized at the five. Uh, with a seven-footer, uh, it'll be interesting to see the wrinkles they throw into that offense uh, to let Kessler uh, maybe cook a little bit on the outside if that shooting uh, percentage translates to college the first year. We know that college now has extended the three-point line a little bit. So uh, I think that is what's most fascinating to me uh, more than anything else is how do you, how do you integrate the five-man because you can say the four and five are interchangeable, and to a degree that is accurate, uh, but to a degree it also isn't. I mean, if you had, for example, if you had Luke May and you had Walker Kessler, Kessler's not going to be playing the four man or the trail man very often. Like it just wouldn't happen. Um, so I'm interested to see how they do put him and they use his talents, to, especially to stretch the deep. Yeah, well, that ties into the conversation about the other guy the Heels have committed is Dayron Sharp um, at 6'10", 246. He is a little bit more of a back-to-the-basket type. You can see a situation where Sharp kind of plays more of the five and is still bigger than most of the fives that UNC's tried out for the past 10 years. And Kessler can have a little bit more freedom on the perimeter as the trail man on the secondary break. So what's kind of your quick analysis of Dayron Sharp? Because he has definitely... I apologize for this in advance. He's made a sharp rise up the rankings. <laughs> oh, good one, Chad. And also a yeah. terrible one at the same time. So well I'm done. fired. Tanya's listening. Um, I'm fired. <laughs> well, I think you bring up a great point is that he and Kessler actually complement each other. And Sharp is big enough to play down low while letting Kessler kind of go outside and, and trail, uh, be the trail man and can maybe float a little bit uh, with some pick and pops or, you know, whatever, however that transpires. I think the thing that sticks out to me about uh, Sharp is that he is more athletic. He's not explosive, but he's more athletic. He's long, and he has really, really good court awareness. Uh, really good, you know, really good rebounder. Um, and inter- I don't say I kind of hate saying an energy guy, but someone who he has a, he has a really high motor. Uh, to use all the buzzwords there, but he's gonna he's gonna gobble up loose balls. He's gonna corral. He's gonna uh, he's gonna crash the glass, and he has the length and the defensive awareness and presence to be a rim protector down low. So where Kessler may lack a little bit in some lateral ability and some athleticism that has to develop through basketball IQ and experience, um, Sharp has an athleticism and awareness about him on the court and really, really good hands. So he would, he would be perfect down on the, down the block, uh, feed him, and then he can score from either side of the basket. So uh, you're absolutely right. Similar sizes, but very different skill sets that could play, they, they could play very well together. Yeah, I think that was what excited me most about Kessler when I went and I did a little research on him is just that I looked at that as two skill sets that definitely blend very well. You know, it's not it's not Sean May and the two Williamses, but uh, it could end up being that way. So I guess we'll have to see. So what was then Greg Brown doing on campus this week? Because that's that's where I get a little confused. You know, you, you look at the glut of talent. You assume at least two of Brooks, Manley, and Huffman are going to be there as seniors. Um, Huffman obviously hasn't really cra- cracked the rotation yet. And then you talk about possibly Armando Baycott. Um, I don't really see room for Greg Brown, but I was pretty excited about him when he first came into my awareness. Yeah, so with Brown, you're looking at more of a three or a, or a hybrid four. Super 
freaky athletic, um, but he doesn't really have the ball handling skills to handle on the perimeter a whole lot, but he doesn't really have the size of the post moves to be a post player. So, you know, in the old days, you'd call him a tweener. Uh, now you'd call him a three or a four. Uh, it would have to be the right fit. He is, he probably has the most upside of almost any recruit in the class, but he's raw. He's, he's purely athletic. So, um, you know, we have seen players like that show up in North Carolina, and we have seen them take a year or two to develop uh, and hone their craft before they were really ready to take the next step. We know the NBA doesn't work like that, right? They're going to, you know, they see a bundle of athleticism. They're going to take you regardless. Uh, so I don't know how he fits in. Um, I'm not sure his skill sets would work for one year at North Carolina, especially with Garrison Brooks there as who's going to be the starting foreman um, as a senior. Uh, so I don't know where, where he fits in or, you know, or if he's just trying to, to, to feel everything out. The important thing there, though, is that his dad played for Mac Brown at the University of Texas. So there's a, there's a family and coach connection on the other, you know, across the street. Um, and so I think it's at this point it feels as, as if it's kind of trending away um, and that they're kind of doing this more out of a, let's just be absolutely thorough and sure before we make any decisions. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if Greg Brown ends up coming because I just don't see the, the positional fit. Uh, there or even the basketball fit for what Greg Brown's goals probably are and the way Coach Williams is going to coach him. Yeah, basically the way I would see it is best case scenario, he does play a capable three as a freshman, which like you said, you know, or, and like I said, the Hensons, uh, the Wares, um, those guys tried it, failed, ended up as fours, and that worked out just fine for all of them uh, to different extents. Uh, if Brown could come in as a three right away, you know, he, he would be still behind Leaky Black. And then on the in the post, he'd still be behind Garrison Brooks and probably the two other guys who have a little bit more refined post skills. Having said that, when you say freakish athleticism and high upside, I'm, I'm always a sucker for those guys, man. So if he wants to come <laughs> on to Chapel Hill, man, come on down. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, we saw last year Nasir Little kind of fit that role, right? Uh, freaky athleticism, uh, really high upside, was kind of raw, uh, and he still carved out a role and at at times was the best player on the court and really looked to be coming into his own, and every time something happened, the flu and ankle injury or whatnot. You know, if if North Carolina does not get Cade or does not get Zaire, um, then Greg Brown would potentially fit there. You know, he could he could play behind Leakey or play behind Garrison and still get 20 to, you know, 20 to 23 minutes a game and still display what he wants to display and still be an asset. Um, so I don't think there's – when I said there's not room for him, I don't see room for him. It, it's all based on Cade and Zaire also coming. So that's kind of where all that where all that comes from. Uh, but if one of those two don't, then there is room. Now you're talking that there's a little bit of room for him, but he would probably not be a starter from day one just because of the, the rawness and the development that he would need. I like it. So, um, Jake, in the previous iteration of this podcast, we – there, there was one point pretty much around this time last year where we predicted how the class was going to go. Um, I am going to tell you that we are absolutely not going to do that because we <laughs> – let's see. We were wrong on Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. We were wrong on Josh Green. We were wrong on at least a couple – Trey Mann, I, I think, was still uncommitted at the time. So we're, we're just not going to play that game. So just give me a number. Uh, ultimately, how many guys do you think uh, Roy Williams signs for the 2020 class? Um, I think you're going to have four signed by November, and you'll get two more in the spring. 
I can work so I with think, that. I think, I think it'll be a six-man class when it's all said and done because I really do expect a transfer or an early departure um, from somebody uh, just with the way the landscape goes. And Seventh Woods transferring has me kind of freaked out a little bit. So and I use freaked all, you know, loosely, of course. But it's now a real possibility for North Carolina, especially with the way graduate transfers work now. Um, so I think you'll end up seeing a departure, whether it's Armando leaving a year early, um, earlier than expected, or someone decides to pursue their basketball career somewhere else. And, you know, I'm, I'm not pushing anybody out the door, but it's not the worst thing if a guy sees a better opportunity elsewhere and pursues it. You know, the, the best players. No, that, not at all. Yeah, and, and Roy Williams does give guys opportunities to absolutely play themselves into or out of the rotation better than any other coach in the country. But if a guy is just not going to cut it, then, you know, it's it's a win-win, in my opinion, to where you don't have the scholarship tied up, but you also don't have the kid possibly on the bench and starting to get a little bit sour and, you know, maybe affect team chemistry. So there, there are one or two candidates I could see for that potential role. Um, I think six would be a great number because that does imply that there's probably one or two guys who are more two, three, four-year players. And I'm here for that. Um, yeah, well, and, and real quick, too, and we, we need to be clear that North Carolina is not a program that encourages players to look elsewhere either. Um, and we're not implying that. But when you look at Jeremiah Francis's knee, Sterling Manley's knee, um, Andrew Playtech, if he does not have a big year this year, he'd still have a year of eligibility left if he could graduate in three years. So, I mean, there's, I don't, there's no shame in, in calling out some of the players or naming some of the players that are health and or playing time concerns and if they feel that there are better opportunities, and that's, that's not out of the realm of possibility anymore. But I also do not think that North Carolina is going to talk to any of them and say, hey, uh, appreciate it. We're going to help you find a better place because you're not a fit here anymore. They will not do that. Um, but I do think that we, 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 have to be, we have to be self-aware enough to know that departures are possible uh, for various health or playing time reasons. And that's all. I think that was said perfectly and more eloquently than the host of this podcast could have possibly said it. So I'm going to just drop it right on that. Uh, Jake, what do you have coming to TarHillBlog.com this week? Uh, this is probably Friday when uh, this is when this is hitting the airwaves. So tell me about it. So earlier this week, I had the Caleb Love commitment piece. Has some has some analysis and some videos in there. I want to expect uh, again Caleb Love, a scoring scoring uh, lead guard. Uh, attacks the basket, has no problem getting into the paint, exactly what North Carolina needs in their system. Um, and then uh, I will have a game recap for Georgia Tech football this weekend uh, and any other targets of opportunity that pop up. But those are the two big ones for this week. I love it. Uh, for me, I'm going to have the written game preview for Georgia Tech. I know I don't write that much anymore, but uh, we should have a podcast going up along with that. Uh, Jacob Cowden and I broke down the Clemson game. That is a fun listen. If you go back into the feed and listen to that, um, you know, we both rewatched the game. He watched the, he rewatched the game like four times and we had some pretty decent technical analysis there. Uh, this one's going to hit. And other than that, all I'm going to say is if you found us, don't lose us. Subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get your podcast, you will get this show. You'll get don't punt to geo the football show. You will get What in Tarnation, the Hot Take Show. You will get an ACC podcast with Lauren Brownlow. And you will get Between the Banners, the UNC basketball podcast, which is going to be ramping back up because it's only about 45 days until we're talking about actual basketball action. 
Jake, good sir, I appreciate you. Listeners, good ma'ams and sirs, I appreciate y'all as well. Until next time, keep it locked and go Heels.